Good morning, church family. Pray that you are all well, as it is wonderful to see all of you here this morning, as today we will be jumping back into the Gospel of Mark after our three-week hiatus, and we'll be looking specifically today at Mark chapter 11, verses 20 through 25, or at the lesson from the withered fig tree. However, we, before we do so, like Pastor Ricardo did last week, I also want to take just a moment to publicly thank all of you for the wonderful love offering that you took up and gave to the Bunting family this year, for your generosity and your love and your care for your pastor's church is so obvious. So from the entire Bunting family, we all just wanted to say thank you so much for the wonderful gift, and that, of course, we love you all. Now, as for our sermon this morning, church, again, we will be in Mark chapter 11, verses 20 through 25, which picks up right after Jesus Christ cursed the fig tree and then cleansed the temple. Or after Jesus Christ, as he was heading back to Jerusalem from Bethany, in verse 12, got hungry. And thus, because of that, in seeing a fig tree off in the distance that was in leaf, he, Jesus Christ then, decided to go over and to see if he could find anything on it to eat. However, when he came to this fig tree church, verse 13, he found that there was nothing on it but leaves. To which Jesus Christ then went on to say to this fig tree here in verse 14, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And in essence, curses this fig tree for not bearing any fruit. And not only that, but as we go on to see in verse 15, he, Jesus Christ then, upon arriving into Jerusalem and entering into the temple, he, verse 15, began driving out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Since the outer temple courtyard here, church, or the only place in the temple where the Gentiles could actually worship God had been turned into a marketplace of sorts where animals were being sold for sacrificial purposes. To which Jesus Christ then, as we go on to see in verse 17, began teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus Christ quoting from Isaiah 56, 7 here, where he says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, indicating that the temple wasn't just to be a place of worship for only the people of Israel, but instead for all the nations of the earth, only to then reference that of Jeremiah 7, 11, where he says, But you have made it a den of robbers. And in short, calls out the religious leaders here, church, or verse 18, the chief priest and that of the scribes who had stolen away from the Gentiles, if you will, their ability to worship God in the temple by allowing this aforementioned marketplace to be set up in the only place in the temple where the Gentiles were actually allowed to worship God, which was in essence, as numerous scholars have pointed out here, a picture of Jesus Christ not only cleansing the temple here, 
but even more than that, cursing the temple, just like that of the fig tree, due to its overall unfruitfulness as well. Which takes us now, church, to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Christian, when you pray to God, be sure to pray in faith and with a forgiving spirit, since they are both fundamental components of God-pleasing prayer. Again, our thesis statement this morning, church, is this. Christian, when you pray to God, be sure to pray in faith and with a forgiving spirit, since they are both fundamental components of God-pleasing prayer. And thus at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Mark chapter 11, verses 20 through 25. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then fear not, because there is a Bible located in the chairs in front of you this morning with your name on it. Meaning that if you do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles as our gift to you on this day. Because trust me, we want you to have your very own copy of the Word of God. And the only thing we ask, if indeed you do take and keep one of our church Bibles, is that you read it, starting today, right here, right now, by opening that brand new Bible of yours up to page 847, and by joining us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we will be in Mark chapter 11 this morning, church, looking specifically at verses 22 through 25, where John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, As they passed by in the morning... They saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your father, Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as I come to you this morning, Lord, I pray that I come to you in faith and with a forgiving spirit. Lord, I pray that each one of the individuals here this morning, as they pray to you, come to you in faith and with a forgiving spirit. Father, we are in awe that we as a church body get to gather and worship the Most High God together this morning as brothers and sisters in Christ, to sing together, to pray together, to give our offerings together, 
to sit under the teaching and the preaching of your word together, to take communion together. Father, how good it is to be together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, I pray this morning that through our singing, through our prayers, through our reading of Scripture and preaching and teaching and coming to the Lord's table together, Lord, that we are built up in the faith together and that we go home on this day praying to you like never before with mountain-moving faith. Strengthen us in our prayer lives this morning, Lord. Lord, if they are weak this morning, if we are frustrated by how effective our prayer lives are, Father, I pray that you open our eyes, our ears, and that you soften our hearts to this text this morning as we see two clear and fundamental components of God-honoring and God-pleasing prayer and that they be applied to our lives well. Father, help my lisping and stammering tongue this morning as I, pr- as I pray, Lord, to, to be able to build up this dear body well in the faith as we glorify you, Father, above all else. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, Christian, when you pray to God, Pray to Him in faith. Christian, when you pray to God, pray to Him in faith. Verses 20 through 24. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So as we see here in verse 20, It opens with, as they passed by in the morning, signifying that after Jesus Christ and his disciples left Jerusalem and the temple, following the cleansing of the temple, and went back to Bethany for the night, that the next day then Jesus Christ and his disciples once again set out from Bethany and headed back to Jerusalem. And that's on their approximately hour-long journey from Bethany to Jerusalem. They once again passed by and saw the fig tree that Jesus Christ had said to in verse 14, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. However, the fig tree that just the day before in verse 13 was in leaf was now, as we see here in verse 20, withered away to its roots. And that Jesus Christ had most certainly performed a miracle here that had brought about the judgment and the destruction and ultimately the death of this unfruitful fig tree. To the point that the apostle Peter then remembered what Jesus Christ had said to this fig tree the day before in verse 14 and then said to Jesus Christ in verse 21, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. 
which big picture here, church, this fig tree then is seemingly indicating that the temple that Jesus Christ also previously cursed would also then end up suffering the same fate as this now destroyed fig tree, which ultimately did end up taking place in 70 AD when the Romans came in and absolutely destroyed Jerusalem and that of the temple here as well. Nevertheless, in light of all this, Jesus Christ then goes on to say to his disciples in verse 22, have faith in God. To which you might be sitting there this morning, church wondering, for how exactly does having faith in God relate to or connect with this account of this withered fig tree? And although there are numerous explanations out there today concerning this conundrum, I tend to side with the scholarship that believes that the disciples here, church, were likely stunned and taken aback and astonished at this time at the power of Jesus Christ to literally wilt and wither and destroy this once healthy fig tree. And thus, because of that, Jesus Christ then takes this opportunity to share with his disciples how they too can call on or draw on, if you will, the power of God here as well. And he does so by saying in verses 22 and 23, have faith in God. For truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Jesus Christ, using this idea of throwing a mountain into the sea here, church, seemingly in a figurative sense or in a metaphorical sense, in order to represent what we as humans tend to believe is impossible and inconceivable, unachievable and unimaginable, inaccessible and insurmountable, unthinkable, and even that of unattainable. And yet, Jesus Christ still says to his disciples here in verse 23, that whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. And then in verse 24, that whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And as I just want to pause here for a second, church, and clarify for you all at this time that these verses do not mean here that we as humans somehow have the ability to manipulate our God into giving to us whatever we wish. Nor do they mean that we as humans can somehow name it and claim it, speak things into existence, or think, believe, and positively confess our way into getting our God to do for us whatever we wish. Since Jesus Christ is not, not, not saying here, church, that our God is merely some kind of wish-granting genie, or cosmic Santa Claus, or bippity-boppity-booing fairy godmother, who if we come to him in prayer and have just enough faith and do not doubt our faith that our God then will simply be forced and obligated and required and compelled to give to us whatever we wish, just like that blue genie had to in Aladdin. But instead, 
what Jesus Christ is seemingly saying to his disciples here, as Eckerd Schnebel explains, is that what is humanly impossible becomes possible for those who believe in God and who trust in his power, just as we have seen throughout the entire Gospel of Mark. And verse 24, that whatever they, the disciples, then ask for in prayer will be given to them by God when they pray in agreement with the will of God. And thus, in light of that, I want to share with you all this morning, church, a story that William Barclay shared from Leonard Merrick's book called Conrad in Quest of His Youth, where the main character, Conrad, once asked a man, do you think that prayers are ever answered? For in my life I have sent up many prayers, and always with the attempt to persuade myself that some former prayer of mine had been answered. But I believe in my heart that none of them have ever been answered. To which the man then replied back to Conrad by saying, One time I was passing along the street with a friend of mine when he came to a ladder leaning against a house. And he stepped to the side of the ladder in order to not walk under it. You know the superstition. Now he was a varsity man, a man of considerable attainment. So I said to him, do you really believe in that nonsense? To which he replied back to me, no, I do not. But I never throw away a chance. And I think, sir, that most people prey on my friend's principle. And that they don't believe in it but they also don't want to throw away a chance. And there is much truth in that, as Barclay concludes, since for so many people, prayer is either a pious ritual or a useless hope, when the reality is it should be a practice of burning expectation. And thus, as we close point number one this morning, I just want to encourage you all at this time that when you pray, brother Christian, sister Christian, pray in faith, trusting that your God has the power to do the impossible for you, the goodness to give you exactly what you need, the character to withhold from you that which could do you harm, and that your God is sovereign Christian and will work all things together for good for you, all while also knowing full well that your God can and that he will answer yes to your prayers, Christian, when they are prayed in accordance with your God's most holy and perfect will. Which brings us to point number two. Christian, pray with a forgiving spirit since your heavenly Father has already forgiven you. Christian, pray with a forgiving spirit since your heavenly Father has already forgiven you. Verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So not only does our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ call his disciples to pray in faith, but also to pray with the spirit of forgiveness here as well. And I say that because as we go on to see in verse 25, Jesus Christ says that whenever you stand praying, forgive. 
If you have anything against anyone, or as the New Living Translation puts it, but when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against. And thus, since the Word of God tells us, church, to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, and forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave us, Ephesians chapter 4, and to bear one another and forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven us, Colossians chapter 3. For we then, as the children of God, cannot be a people then who refuse to forgive those who sin against us, but instead must be a people then who willingly and who openly and who with great consistency forgive those who sin against us. Verse 25, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And again, what Jesus Christ is not saying here, church, in verse 25, is that we as Christians can somehow earn our forgiveness or earn our salvation from God by merely forgiving those who sin against us. For that is absolutely not what Jesus Christ is getting at here. But instead, as Mark Strauss explains it, and as numerous other scholars have pointed out here as well, the connection here between verses 24 and 25 is that to be effective, prayer must be offered in faith, faith in the all-powerful God, and that it must also be offered in the spirit of forgiveness as well. And that faith and a willingness to forgive are two conditions or two fundamental components, if you will, of effective prayer. And thus, in light of that, church, for if you then desire to have a powerful and fruitful and effective prayer life, for you cannot then, church, simply refuse to forgive someone who at one time lost their temper with you, or hate and hold a grudge against someone who one day spoke harshly to you, or be resentful and spiteful towards someone who way back in the day took advantage of you, made fun of you, picked on you, stole from you, hit you, judged you, or even spoke falsely against you, since praying in faith to our God and praying with a spirit that is forgiving before our God are both fundamental components, church, of a powerful and fruitful prayer life. And thus, because of that, for let us then be quick, church, to forgive one another, to show mercy to one another, excuse one another, pardon one another, and to give grace to one another in order to not only walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called as the children of God by the way we forgive one another, but also so that our prayer lives can be fruitful and powerful and effective here on earth as well. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, church, I'd like to do so with the non-Christian who is here first, and to share with you at this time, non-Christian, the fact that if you, right here, right now, this morning, do indeed confess your sins before the God of the universe, that your God will most assuredly then not only forgive you of your sins, but will also then cleanse you of all your unrighteousness here as well. First John chapter 1, verse 9. 
And I say that with such confidence and conviction and clarity and certainty, non-Christian, because the fact of the matter is God the Father himself sent his one and only Son, Jesus Christ, into this world as truly God and as truly man in order to live and to dwell amongst us and to save us from our sins, which he, Jesus Christ, most certainly did by initially living for us, non-Christian, the life that we could never live, and that he, Jesus Christ, lived a life here on earth that was sinless and holy and righteous and good and thus fulfilled the law of God in its entirety, perfectly and completely non-Christian, all for the very children of God. However, that was not all that Jesus Christ accomplished here on earth while he lived and dwelt among us. And I say that because Jesus Christ also then paid the price for our sins that we could not pay by taking all of our sins upon himself, non-Christian, and by willingly then giving up his life by being pierced and crucified, killed and crushed on a cross at Calvary in our place and as our very substitute, even though he himself never sinned, which appeased and satisfied then, non-Christian, the wrath of our holy God all toward his sinful children. And thus, because Jesus Christ then, non-Christian, appeased and satisfied the wrath of our holy God all toward his sinful children, and furthermore, because Jesus Christ, this sinless Son of God, never ever sinned, three days later then, non-Christian, Jesus Christ, for he didn't stay dead or buried in some grave, but instead three days later, he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the grave and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, as the only one who can forgive you of your sins, as the only one who paid the price for your sins, who died for your sins, and can clothe you then in his righteousness, in his perfect life, and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, for as we close this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, I'd like to do so by considering at this time why we as Christians can pray to God so confidently and with such steadfast faith. David Burgess Church, he shared this story that I happened to stumble across this week about a young mother who was alone with her three children on a remote farm in central California, and that while her three children had been swimming in the pool, the mother then suddenly noticed that her two-and-a-half-year-old child was lying at the bottom of the pool. So she instantly then jumped into the pool and got her child out as quickly as she could. 
just as a neighboring farmer was passing by. To which the farmer then immediately began the tedious and fearful process of mouth-to-mouth resuscitation in order to try to save the child's life. And after several minutes, life did indeed stir in the little child. And then later on, after a medical examination, the doctors concluded that there had been no brain damage whatsoever to this child. And thus in the days to follow, the people then who had heard about this child's rescue from drowning couldn't help but comment and say to the mother and the father of the child, boy, you sure are lucky. To which the father then told his pastor that when people would say such a thing to him, that he would simply reply back that it was not luck at all, since his wife and the two children were on their knees praying the entire time, all while the farmer was there working on the child. And thus, when we pray, church, we can pray with confidence, and we can pray with conviction, and pray with boldness, and trust, and belief, and tenacity, not because we figured out the right equation, if you will, to always make God answer our prayers all according to our will, nor because we have got all the sayings down right, and all the postures down right, and all the positions down right, in order to be able to manipulate our God into giving to us all the desires of our flesh, nor even because we think our faith in and of itself is just so big and so grand and so immense that our God just has to give to us whatever we wish, no matter the counsel of his will. But instead, we can pray to our God, church, with boldness and with belief and with expectation, and trust, and confidence, and faith, ultimately because of the power, and wisdom, and strength, and might of the God in whom we are praying to. That being the God of the universe, church, who is not limited to only hearing a couple prayers at a time, nor limited to only distributing so much power of his at a time, nor limited to only answering so many petitions at a time, but to instead created the world out of nothing, made mankind in his own image, parted the Red Sea, saved Daniel from the lion's dead, raised his own son, Jesus Christ, up from the grave, and to even save sinners from their sins and reconciled them back to himself forever. And thus, because of that, if you want to see a revival in this great nation, Christian, then pray to God for revival. And if you want to see your kids come to faith in Jesus Christ, Christian, then pray to God for their salvation. And if you want to see this church, Christian, plant other churches, grow in the faith, love that of the least of these, and be an evangelistic force throughout your county, then pray in faith to the Father, through the Son, and in the Holy Spirit, no matter how big or how bold or impossible or inconceivable You think your prayers might be all while knowing full well, Christian, that if you ask in accordance with the will of God, that your God then will not only hear your prayers, Christian, but will also give to you, Christian, 1 John chapter 5, the requests that you have asked of him. And yet, if he doesn't give you the requests that you have asked of him, 
you can, full, you can still say with confidence, Christian, Father, your will be done. Since we know that our Father has the power to accomplish whatever he wills, Christian, and that his answers to our prayers, Christian, even when he says no to us, are still always for our good and still always for his eternal glory. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body in faith are willing to pour ourselves out to our God and that we do so with a confidence and a trust and a faith that recognizes you, God, as the one who was there in the beginning, who created all things, sustains all things, works in and through all things, and who has absolute dominion over all things, which means then, Father, that you can accomplish all things and can answer all of our prayers exactly as you will, no matter how lofty we think they might be. And thus, because of that, for Let us then, Father, in faith, pray boldly for the salvation of our kids and for the healing of our loved ones, the spiritual growth of our church, the revival of our nation, and for your kingdom, Father, to continue to grow and to grow and to grow and to then be willing, Father, to trust in whatever answer you give us, knowing that your power is endless, your wisdom is absolute, your sovereignty is never-ending, and that all of our answers to our prayers, Father, are always for the good of your people and for your eternal glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us as we pray to come to you in faith, trusting in you, Father, as the God of the impossible, to be able to accomplish anything that we might perceive to be impossible if it is according to your perfect will and for your glory. And Lord, let us also then trust in your sovereignty, in your wisdom, in your mercy, that you will withhold, uh, withhold from us things that we pray for if it is not for our good, if it has the possibility to do damage and to destroy and to hurt us. Father, let us be willing to trust in you completely as we pray, to come to you with a faith that is bold, that is mountain-moving, and that know that you are the God of the impossible, and to also come to you with a forgiving spirit, knowing that we have been forgiven so much by you through the blood of Jesus Christ, and that we are willing to forgive those who come to us. So as we come to you, Father, in prayer, It is with a forgiving spirit. It is in faith in the God of the impossible who works all things out perfectly according to the counsel of his will. Strengthen our faith, Father, a faith in you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.